What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Uh, yeah, you sound just, you sound sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, great. <laughs> the the sexy Jedi and Germ show brought to you by. No, no, it's not the sexy Jedi. It's the Jedi and sexy germs show. My bad, sexy I said germs. it backwards. I sound like sexy germs now. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Jedi and Germs on the Jazz Show, a weekly podcast brought to you by TornbySports.com. I'm Alan Jedi Zog, and on the other side, John English, the Germs Guy, for a special edition, a special holiday edition of the Jedi and Germs Show. John, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Alan? I am doing awesome. It's my second three-day weekend in a row, and I can't, uh, I can't complain about that too much. Good for you. So, and, you know, I, I won't rub that in too much because I know you're working, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when you work for an international company. This is true. They don't know what Martin Luther King means outside of the country. Yep. So, all right. You wanted, we had a few things we want to talk about today. You wanted to talk about this last week's schedule. So why don't we just jump right into it? Yeah, since we last talked, we've... Uh, played Golden State and the Lakers and the Spurs. We went one and two. There's a few different ways you could look at that. You could say we've lost four of our last five, or you can still go back to the Miami game and say we're eight and eight over the last 16. So not not a bad stretch of games here. No, and considering the schedule we faced this last week, one and two is about what we expected anyway because – well, let's face it, we went against the top team in the NBA, and then the other team was the Spurs, and yeah. the Spurs at full strength, might I add. Yep. Yeah, the uh, Spurs game, I watched most of it, and it was it was ugly, but it was interesting. It was interesting to watch the Jazz defense play well, even though the offense looked so much worse. The defense was still something impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and you know the thing about the offense too is it's not like San Antonio took the Jazz out of the offense at all. The Jazz missed a lot of open shots last night. Up against the rim, from outside, from mid-range, we it seemed like there was a lid on the basket for the Jazz last night. Yeah, and they they're they're kind of going down as far as their offense goes, and we've we've talked about this. Um for example, their their offense is now 16th, but if you just look since the Miami game, the offense is actually 19th. But with their offense getting worse, their record has been getting better, and that's all because of their defense. They're they're 26th with defense right now overall, but over the last 16 games, they're the eighth best defense in the league. 
so the trade-off the trade-off is still happening and overall it still seems to be working what's frustrating though in that san antonio game and i don't know if you felt this way but watching it i couldn't help but constantly get frustrated because the jazz defense was keeping them in the game but they just couldn't they couldn't and respond yeah, no on the offense. Exactly. <laughs> couldn't respond on the offensive end. Couldn't keep yourself in the game with any sort of offensive flow whatsoever. Yeah, and and it I mean it was really everybody. I mean if if Rudy Gobert is your leading scorer, you're going to lose. Yeah. And if I remember right, let's see. It's like Yeah, I'm just kind of looking at the box score. And he was he was the only one who was shooting fifty percent. I mean, you could say Trevor Booker, but he only took three shots. So, I mean, nobody nobody looked good offensively. Well, I'd say Rudy looked good offensively, but Rudy's Rudy's like our last. Whenever he's on the floor, he's the fifth option offensively. And so. If he's your leading scorer, your offense is atrocious. Well, and his offense isn't the prettiest in the world either. I mean, unless you're getting him lobs, you're watching somebody look very awkward when he attempts to make any sort of offense happen. Yeah, he he needs to be one where he he needs to not have time to think with the ball. If you pass the ball into him down low, he needs to immediately attack the basket, and he gets in trouble when he gets the ball, and then he tries to do some dribble moves. And he has a problem. He has a problem with bounce passing. I noticed that a couple of times where people are trying to bounce pass him the ball. If you pass it to him below his waist, it's just not going to happen. Was there anything in the offense last night that maybe you look at aside from missing shots? I mean, really makeable shots. Was there anything in the offense that you see that could be better? That maybe could have given them better opportunities? Well. Uh... Other than making him, it's it's hard because the Spurs are really good defense too. I mean, it's it's no coincidence that they only score sixty nine points against the Spurs. The Spurs are really good defense too, and um, they have a problem. They have a problem in uh, overpassing without that leading to assists. I mean, Trey had a good night last night assist wise. He had eight assists, but he's usually more like a five assist guy. Right. And as I was going through team stats, the Jazz are the second highest passing team in the league, and yet for assists, they're like 25th. Which says, um, like you said, they're overpassing. They're, or... they're passing and passing, but it's not actually turning into assists. Right. Um, so it's like they pass the ball four times, and then you have someone do a one-on-one play anyway. <laughs> right. That that's what most numbers say to me. So it also says to me as I look at the high assisting teams, it's because they have a uh, a dominant point guard. The the best assisting teams tend to be the ones with the dominant point guard. And you'll call Jeff Teague a dominant point guard? Jeff Jeff might make the All Star team this year. Yeah, I mean because Atlanta and and the reason why I bring this in, Atlanta's one of the top, aren't they? The one of the top two or three teams in the league in passing in assists. Yeah. But they don't have a dominant player on that team. They really don't. Uh, yeah, but they have. 
they have they have three borderline all stars, maybe even four borderline all stars. I mean, if the all star if the all star team can have twenty five players, you could have four Hawks on there, no problem. Yeah, but do, how much is that? Is because it's the East. Well, of course, some of it's because of the East. <laughs> I mean, if the, if the Jazz were in the East, we'd only be three games out of the playoffs. This is true. Right now, we'd only be three games out of the playoffs, and we're the sixth worst team in the league record-wise right now. Right. So the East is just awful. But the Hawks are really good. It's not the Hawks' fault they play in the East. Right. If they were in the West, they'd be right in the glut of things. They'd be right around Memphis, Portland anyway. Well, them, them and but that's Washington. still amazing team. <laughs> right, right. They, they and Washington, I think, are the two clear-cut teams in the East that are playing well enough to be right in the middle and the thick of things in the West. Yeah, and the, and the, I'd say the Raptors. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure where DeRozan is coming back. As far as I know, he already came back. But they they lost him for a significant amount of time, and they still managed to play really good basketball. So by the time the playoffs roll around, um unless the Cavs start demonstrating their recent run is a permanent solution, I'd say your top three teams in the East are Atlanta, Toronto, and Washington. Yeah. And then Chicago and Cleveland need to solidify some things and then they'll be there too. All right. I'm going to give one shout out because I just have to golden state and Washington in the NBA finals, a 40 year reunion on the brink of happening. All right, we're done. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know. That was a little nugget I had to drop because last week I did my little Jedi Mind Tricks post, and that was something I found. Um, and, and actually, Golden State swept that series. For anybody that really cares, Golden State swept the 1975 finals series against the Washington Bullets, four to nothing. So that was the last time Golden State even got that far in the playoffs. Man, who was on that team? I don't know. I'd have to go back and look even further into that. I just know that I just know that those were the two teams that represented. I don't remember who was on Washington's team at that time either. Um but yeah, seventy five. That's I mean, I was a year old. My goodness. Well, you now were... I have to look. <laughs> you, you do to me? Yeah. Give me a two hour show. All right. Oh, oh it was De- Rick De- Barry. That's a Rick Barry team. <laughs> Devin just rolled his eyes. If we go two hours, we're dead meat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so Rick Barry was on that on that Golden State team. Yeah, Rick Barry. He was averaging thirty points a game that year. Wow. Thirty points, six assists, five rebounds, three steals. Wow. Yeah, it's easy to forget how good Rick Barry was. Yep. Yes, it is. And he had two sons that were great, but really, I don't think they even touched the iceberg compared to what he was. Yeah, I'd I, I completely agree. So. Now that I've gotten you off track, uh, anything else you want to look back on this past week that uh, stuck out in your mind? Well, let us seg that into the controversy of Ennis Cantor versus Rudy Gobert. Who should start? Who gets the most minutes? Okay. Um, Cantor was playing pretty good before he went out with injury. Um, If you look at his... If you look at his games, you know, two, three weeks before the injury, and then you look at what's happened since he came back, I think part of it is he's he's not fully back. I don't I mean I'm not seeing him like limp around or anything. Right. But it looks like he's kinda of having a hard time adjusting 
back into the flow of things. And part of it is schedule. He came back against Houston and then Golden State. And and then, of course, the Spurs are going to make anyone look bad. But then you also had the Lakers game where he himself didn't look good in the Lakers game. No, he was horrible in that game. Yeah, he was 2 of 10 against the Lakers. I mean, he was. you can't let Carlos Boozer out-defend you. So it's it hasn't been an encouraging four games since he came back. Right. And while he was gone, Rudy was able to take great advantage. Um, and it wasn't just it wasn't just that they were playing against bad teams. I mean, they destroyed Chicago. Chicago has good good big men. So, so based on that information, I mean, we're going to talk more in depth about this, but. I want to bring up one question that was brought to us last night that fits right in here. Um, it came from at Utah Sports Bar, Brad Pierce, a good friend, good friend of mine from the uh, Holy Rivals podcast over at Taxi Squad. But he asked, you know, and, and this, this maybe segues into something else we talk about with Cantor. His question is, if you're going to make a trade for Cantor, what trade would you try to make? Do the Jazz really need to trade Cantor at this point? I don't think they need to. Um, they're going to look, and I think, uh, based on Quinn's comments after the Spurs game, that Ennis is still going to start against who's next? Cleveland. Yeah, I think I think Cantor will still start against Cleveland. Um, you know, they put a lot of investment in Cantor. We basically let Paul Millsap walk away to see what Cantor can really do. Right. And. You know, he's he's not living up to where they'd hope he'd be. Um, he's still only 22, but he's been in the league a while now, and you wonder, you wonder if this is about where he is. Um, players usually get a little better year after year, and he has, but the areas where you really need him to improve, he's just not improving at the pace you need him to. Right. And personnel-wise, I just I just wonder how he would still fit in the long-term plans. Well, and and I, I I'm kind of with you on that. And you know, for those, I, you know, at the beginning of the year, I wasn't sold on him. And I, you know, it's funny. It's been like a roller coaster with me. I didn't like the pick when the Jazz picked him up at three. I I thought they could have done better. Not that there was much better in that draft, but I felt like he wasn't the option. So. Then he came along and I thought, you know what, that first, after his first year, he comes out of, in, in shape that second year. He's in, in incredible shape. He starts to put on offensive moves, starts to look good. And I thought, all right, so give this guy a chance. And then last year, you saw just how poor the Jazz were defensively when he was on the court with Derek Favors. And I started thinking, and eh, no. And the beginning of the season, I thought maybe the Jazz find a way to move him because maybe it's just not going to work anymore. Well, now I'm back on the side that, you know what, make me maybe give him a chance. It's like, it, it, I feel like, seriously, it's the roller coaster of Ennis Cantor with me. Uh-huh. I, I, I don't know. It, and I'm, I'm with you. I'm wondering if he's as good as he's going to be. But then Quinn Snyder has surprised us with his development of other players too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as Cantor goes, I, I kind of compare the careers of him and, uh, Jonas V in Toronto. since That seemed to be the debate when they picked number three. Yeah. Um, 
And I think if the Jazz had not landed in the top three that year, if they had stayed where they were, which I think was number six, yeah, then they probably would have gone with Brandon Knight and everything would be totally different now. That's true. Um, uh, you know, I I don't know what they could get for Cantor if they wanted to do a mid-season trade. Um, because you got to look at what needs would he fill another team that would want to trade for him. And I would think that if you're trading Cantor, you're probably trading him for some other young player that isn't living up to expectations on his team. Right. And they're just trying to see if change of scenery will help both of them. Yeah. Like, uh, you hear Nick Stockus is being shopped away from Sacramento. He's only a rookie, but he's just having a really bad year. And I, someone was talking about, hey, let's trade Canada to Kings. And I kind of went, oh, yeah, let's reunite with Ty Corbin. I'm sure that'll go really well. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so, some underperforming second or third year guy, they might say, well, maybe we can trade for Cantor. I mean, uh, I can't I can't think of a guy I'd want to trade for. Um, I'd have to... I'd have to really look and see who's getting shopped, but you well, know, like like Charlotte would probably want to trade Bismack Biombo, but I don't really want Bismack Biombo. No, because you're getting another big that is a good defender, but can't can't you know can't play an offensive game to save his life. Yeah, so you know, then it's just a matter of okay, who is on what other teams that isn't doing that great that we think we might be able to make something of as we train Cantor away to them. Right. So you just, you just kind of look at other teams in the lottery and, and who are willing to move pieces around. I mean, Stockus is probably going to get moved somewhere. Um, but I, I can't even think of, think of someone logical that the jazz would want to trade Cantor for. I'm not sure I see anything there either, unless you made some trade with Minnesota, but I think Minnesota would be content to keep a lot of their budding young players and really not want to give anything up there either. Yeah, I mean, Knicks might be interested because they they don't have anybody. Right. But they'd want Jazz to take a lot of salary in any trade they do. They're just trying to dump salary and see what they can get. Carmelo Anthony. Oh, sorry. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> I think there would be a bunch of jazz fans that might just leave this team if they brought in Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, see, they could go for maybe maybe a team that wants a little more offense, like the Orlando Magic's a really bad offensive team right now. Right. So maybe they'd want Cantor for somebody. I don't know who. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that takes me to my next question of you. So... Cantor going forward, we've got to see where he ends up, you know, offensively, if he can get his game back. But where do the Jazz go going forward? I don't know if you read it the other day, but but uh, Hoops Habit, I read an interesting article from uh, uh, from a Rondo, I think that's how you say his name, or Rando or something like that. Anyway, he wrote an interesting piece about the situation the Jazz are in with their three bigs. Uh-huh. And it was interesting to listen to him towards the end of the conversation talking about Cantor and Gobert and putting two other bigs that we've seen in a similar situation in the same conversation, and that is to go back to the Lakers with Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum, where you had one who was a very good defensive center. You had the other one who, you know, being Pau Gasol, 
not great defensively, never was in Memphis, really wasn't in L.A., but it was Andrew Bynum that made him look so good defensively. So the real question going forward, you've got three bigs with the Jazz, and it seems right now that that Quinn is good with going a rotation where you're evening the minutes right around, what is it, 25 to 30 apiece for all three of them? Yeah. How do the Jazz finish the season? Like, Are they going to go that route the rest of the way, do you think? Uh, I can see him doing that. I can see him trying to make the minutes even, but then sticking with whoever has the hot hand. Um, I think the experiment to make Cantor the power forward and favors the center has shown it hasn't really worked. Yeah. Um, favors, favors is a power forward, and yeah, he has the wingspan to be a center, but he's really a power forward. And he's, and so if we can stop forcing that and just let him be a just let him be the center on your on your second squad but if if he can do the starting minutes as power forward with Rudy or Ennis playing center um that that'll make that'll be Derek's more natural position and he, it's it's been fun to watch him thrive when him and Gobert actually share the floor um and the the defense of the team is just off the charts when those two are on the floor. Yeah. In fact, I wanted to go over our, our defensive stats to kind of dwell on the positive with this team. Um, okay, stats alerts, everybody. John is alerts. going on stats. <laughs> Since the Jazz have gone 8-8, eight and eight, um, they are number one in the league for opponent shooting at less than five feet. As in... No other, no other team shoot. Uh, how am I phrasing this? Teams shooting fifty-one point five percent when they shoot it less than five feet, and everybody else, the percentage is much higher. You know, sixty, seventy. When you're that close, you're going to score. And when you have favors and Gobert, that makes them the number one defensive team in the league against opponents shooting less than five feet. Wow. Now, where that. Uh, balances out. We're the worst team in the league defending the shot between 10 and 14 feet. But they shoot less from that range. I mean, less than five feet is where teams are going to want to shoot the most. Right. And they can't. In fact, teams attempt shots at less than five feet. Um, Jazz are second best at keeping teams from even attempting shots that close. Because they're going against the Jazz and because they have favors and go bears, teams aren't even trying to shoot that close um, compared to other teams. And so a majority of their shots are going to be more mid-range, outside shots. And the, it, it's kind of all over the place on where teams are. I mean, the Jazz are fourth best at defending between 15 and 19, but they're the worst at defending between 10 and 14. You know, there's a lot of fluctuation in there. And the Jazz are actually not that bad a perimeter defensive team. I mean they're they're twenty first, so it's not great, but it's not they're not like one of the worst. They're just kinda mediocre. Right. And that that seems to be an ideal for how you want your teams to do. You want them to be really good at defending the rim and defending the three and forcing them to sh- take the long twos. And really the long twos are, if, I'm, if I've listened correctly over the last couple of years, the long two seems to be the most ineffective shot in the NBA. Am I right? 
Yeah. Yeah, the, the 20 to 24 foot shot is the least effective in the NBA, least efficient. And so the Jazz are pretty good at positioning their opponent to shoot from there. That says a lot about the bigs, but it says a lot about the, the guards as well. Um, it, it's obvious that Quinn's defensive schemes are working. Yeah, and it's it's been fun to watch uh, defense and defensive rotations. Uh, I've been paying a lot more attention to that. And, um, you know, it felt like early in the year, Trey would go to play his guy, the guy would blow past him, but you just give up. Right. Um, Trey has been very assertive lately. And he's been doing his best to get right up on his guy. Mm-hmm. And the Jazz have done a really good job in rotating their players on defense. Um, if they get caught in a pick and roll, they rotate. And then if they manage to stop the play developing there, then they rotate back to their guy. Um, I've seen a lot of good things out of them on that. The other thing that I, I just read, what was it this morning? Clint at Purple and Blues wrote about Trey's emergence in the defense. And I think this applies to all the perimeter players. Um, Quinn likes them to fight through that screen. Clint pointed out that early on in the season, Trey was floating underneath the big on the screens. But more lately, going back to your point of his assertiveness, Trey is being much more assertive of fighting through the screen. And I think that's an, an you know that is an attribution to to Quinn's offense or defensive schemes as much as it is to Trey and the guards being more uh, uh, be listening more to what Quinn's got and going out there and asserting themselves in the proper way. Yeah, if you're able to fight over the screen, it it makes the opponents, it makes the other guard have to work a little harder to get to his open space or get the pass off, and that's just better. So, if you're cutting under the screen, it's because you you believe the guard you're guarding is a really bad outside shooter, and he was getting burned on that so many times because there are a lot of really good shooting point guards in the league right now. So as he's been able to play through and play over the screen, it's, it's, it's helped affect the defense a little bit and that the, the other guard has to work a little harder to get where he wants to go next. And it's right. just, it's just why the jazz are now the eighth best defense in the, in the league. Well, and exactly over the past 16 games. Exactly. And it goes back to your point about the mid range versus the three point shot. If you're going under the screen, allowing your man to come outside, he's taking a more efficient shot in the NBA at that three point level, or he's getting, he's getting an easier opportunity at the basket. Whereas if you're fighting through, now you're forcing him in to the mid range shot, which like you said a minute ago for is what the jazz are doing really well at. They're forcing people back into that mid range area. Yep. So great points, more stats. You got any more? (laughs) Uh, um, in the, in our, in the past 16 games, Jazz are putting up 94.3 points, which is actually 27th in the league. Um, I think as the Jazz get their defense figured out, which it looks like they really are, then that needs to swing back around to getting our offense figured out, which is why it's really sad that Rodney Hood got hurt again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and while we're on the subject of Rodney Hood, I'd like to point something out. That Lakers game the other night, um, and this is what I like about all of the players on the Jazz team right now, but specifically this point is the other night when the Jazz were really stagnant in that second half against the Lakers, really weren't pulling away, really were letting the the the, the game really was just not, it was kind of a muck. Um, Rodney Hood got into it with, was it uh, Ellington, right? Yeah. And And it, 
it, you know, Hood had trouble guarding him even after that point, but I noticed it sparked the rest of the team. When everybody else saw Hood take that matchup personally, the rest of the team took the game personally and look where, look where they ended up. They ended up winning that game and they ended up winning it well. Yeah. And that's what I like. What I'm seeing from the jazz right now, especially defensively is that you see guys who are taking their matchups personally and they're not willing to be beat. And, you know, Gobert is probably a leader among that because he's not willing to let guys beat him. But then you go right down the line to any of those guys to Trey. Trey was doing it last night against Tony Parker. You get beat once you don't want to get beat again. And you're starting to fight just a little bit harder than you used to on defense. So, yeah, I like that Hood has a chip on his shoulder, and you yeah. also see Gobert has a chip on his shoulder. Yep. And they're not gonna between them and like Trevor Booker, they're they've they're getting a more aggressive attitude back when it comes to defense. It's really nice to see. How long have we been missing that edge with the Utah Jazz? I mean, seriously, it's been a few years. Yeah, <laughs> it's been it's been quite a few years. I mean, Darren had that chip. But aside from Darren, you really haven't seen that. Yeah, Darren had it, but our bigs are Boozer and O'Core. Right. And they're great, but they weren't really like getting your head type defenders. Yeah. And then Al Al wasn't, and Millsap's, Millsap's a good defender. But just um, nobody had the chip that you're seeing these guys have again. And, yeah. And, and, you know, I've missed that. I think we have a lot of, I mean, Harpering was the one other guy that you could say played with that chip when he defended on the floor. When you, when Jerry, when Jerry had runs coming at him from other teams, you knew, you knew where he was going to call. Harpering was going to come off the bench and was going to go against the other team's best player and was going to get, get in the guy's head and frustrate him. And we have not had players that just have that chip and play with that edge. And it's kind of nice to see. Yeah, I, uh... Yeah, I, I loved having Harper on the Jazz. Um, he, his injuries kind of prevented him from being effective the last year or two he was here. But I, it, it kind of, I swelled with team pride when I'd see the uh, those NBA polls where they poll other players and coaches and GMs on things, and the question of who's the toughest guy in the league. And Matt came in third or fourth, right? among everybody and it and it was true but it wasn't just because he played football which we heard every game but yeah. <laughs> he would he would he wouldn't back down from anybody and guys would try to slam into him and he could hold his ground and it would and he would he would have no problems with the hard fouls and you know guys learned that it's not like they well they learned not to mess with him i mean they they wouldn't back down from him, but they learned that you're not going to do this this chicken crap like Garnett does. Right, exactly. That that he was he was a legit stand your ground tough guy. Yeah, and we have that again with a few players on this current team. Yeah, and we're getting we're getting that back. That's yes. great. So, all right. So, moving forward, what kind of things do you want to see? Well, I'd like to see Cantor get his offensive rhythm back. Um, when when his when his offense is clicking, his confidence goes all around, and I think that's been part of his problem since he's come back. Um, where he kind of, I mean, the last two games he's been he's four of sixteen, and Cantor's main strength to the team is his 
offensive rebounding and his scoring. And if those aren't going well, then then why do you have him on the floor? So I'd like to see him get back to that. Now, it's still a tough stretch up ahead. We're on the road against the Cavs and the next night against the Bucks. And even though they're these, those are both playoff teams. So neither of those are easy. And both of those could, could wind up being losses if the Jazz aren't, if they don't have their head in the game. And both of those are on the road? Yeah, those are both on the road. Okay. And then their next, their next, after that, there's a four game home stretch. And I expect to probably go two and two on that one. They have the Nets and then the Celtics and then the Clippers and the Warriors. Right. So I can see them winning those first two and losing those last two. And as far as the road goes, who knows? I'll just go ahead and predict now they'll go one and one against those teams. And then if they go two and two in their next four game home stretch, we're gonna to get to the end of January and we can still be able to say they're playing five hundred ball since that Miami game. Right. Um, right now they're we're at the halfway mark, they're fourteen and twenty seven, so they're on pace for a 28-54 record, which is an improvement from last year. It's not as much improvement as I would have hoped for, but but if they're playing, I, I look at the injuries and go, well, okay, we lost Alec Burks for the majority of the year, and right. we haven't been able to really have Hood that much. But if they're playing 500 ball and they started the season the way they did, 500 ball puts them on pace to at least win three or four more games more than 28, though, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. The first the first half of the season has been going that way the rest of the season. But if they're if they're five hundred from here on out, then then I'd have to do the math in my head and that would be hard. Yeah, I won't ask you to because <laughs> I can't do the math in my head either. But then I, they go twenty four and thirty seven thirty four and forty seven. I'm seeing them right around 35 to 38 games. That's what my guess was to yeah. start the season, and that's where I still think they'll be at at the end of the year. Yeah, my initial optimistic pick was 35 and 47. And then I kind of, well, maybe it'll be more like a 31-51 year. Yeah. Um, I, I still hope they, they crack that 30 mark. And they should be able to, the way they've played over the past month, so... I'm going to predict this too, and this will give Devin fuel when he does his morning shoot around. But I'm I'm saying the homestand, the Jazz go three and three and one because I think they're going to beat the Clippers. I don't think they're going oh, to beat. You know what? That is that is possible because the Clippers have been in a bit of disarray lately. Yeah, and I don't I don't think the Jazz will beat Golden State because well, it's Golden State and they're Golden the best State. team in the league right now. But I can yeah. see the Jazz, especially the way they played them at L.A. two weeks ago. I could see them get over the hump and actually, instead of losing by four, winning by four or five in that game in Salt Lake. You know what's crazy about the Spurs? They're 26 and 16. They're seventh in the West. (laughs) That's how good the West is. That's how crazy good the West is. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. And who's in the eighth seed right now? Uh, Phoenix. And they've won, Phoenix has won 25, haven't they? Or 22? They're 24. 24. 24 and 18. And if they were in the East, they would be the fifth seed. Wow. In fact, number nine and 10 in the West is the Pelicans and Thunder. They're both at 500. They're both at 20 and 20. That would put them in the middle of the pack in the East. 
yeah, yeah, they'd be they'd be tied for tied for seventh in the East. I mean, if if you if you didn't have conferences and you just put it in the top sixteen teams, even if they play their schedule like this, but then you, then the top fifteen teams make sixteen teams make the playoffs. Um, you'd only have six from the East. Wow. Wow. So and yeah, yeah, you'd only have six. I'm going to call it though because I do think the East is going to start getting better. I really do. I think in the next couple of years we're going to see that because. You've you've got teams in the East, players in the East that are getting better. You've got, I I think Milwaukee's going to eventually get much better, but then you've got Washington that I think is sky's the limit for them, and then Philly is eventually going to work their way back into the back into the mix. I'll believe it when I see it. I I believe <laughs> you're you're still going to have three or four strong teams in the East every year. But it's it's the middle and the lottery where the East is just so clearly inferior. Yeah. I mean, I think the eight seed in the East has only had a better record than the eight seed in the West once in the past twenty years or something like that. Wow. I, I, I looked at it once a while ago. I might revisit it again. But yeah, the East is the East has been bad for a long time. And David Stern used to say, Well, it's cyclical. Well this cycle's been going on for Yeah. I bet fourteen, fifteen years that the West is just better than the East. I hear a uh, follow-up post to John's East. What if what if the Jazz were in the East post coming here soon to discuss the, the parity between the two? Yeah, I think I, I think I will eventually write that column. So I, I just, you know, you're right though. And, and I would be intrigued by whatever you decide to go. I think you could go back 20 years because you go back to the 90s. I'm not sure during those last two years that the jazz and the bulls faced off how good the East was at that time either. But I'd be curious. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing is, is the West was still pretty fierce then. It's like who can survive in the West. And once they survive the West, well, you have to play the bulls now and you lose to the bulls and you lose to the bulls. And then, <laughs> but then when MJ retired, it was like, all right, MJ's out for these two years. So whoever wins the West is going to win it all. And it wound up being Houston both times. Well, and since then, if you go back over the last decade, you've got the Lakers and the Spurs from the West that have won the championships. You throw in Dallas, you throw in, but really, yeah, it's been a West dominant. You're right. I, all right, I want to read this post when you get it up. I'm expecting to see something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Devin, you look like you gave me the weird look when I was saying that. Did you have something you were going to chime in on that one? No, no. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, anything else you wanted to talk about or does that cover everything? Yeah, that covers it. That's good for today. Okay. I don't have any any movie stuff to throw in this week. I haven't seen any movies recently, so I don't know if you have anything, but well, it's Martin Luther King day. So go see Selma. There you go. And, and it's... not just cause you have to, but it's cause Selma's a really good movie. Yeah. And as far as, uh, Oscar nominations, I saw I read in boyhood last night and that was a very interesting experiment, but I wouldn't call it the best movie of the year. In fact, as soon as it was over, my wife was like, I'm going to gag if that wins Best Picture. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I haven't seen a lot of the nominations, but it sounds to me like it's a lot of movies that I haven't seen and a lot of movies that are up for nominations that I never really cared to see. So I'm going to be interested to see how the Oscars go. But Yeah, I, 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 t- I try to see as much as I can of the nominated stuff before Oscar night. 
please, and then please, once it's all over here, the the terrible doldrums of spring where nothing good comes out. Please tell me that uh, that Frozen, for all of the amount of times I've heard every song oversung by my kids for the last year, is up for some nomination, right? Oh, that was last year. That was last year? Okay, fine. Yeah, it, it won Best Animated <laughs> Film last year. That's right. That's this right. year, it's probably going to be Big Hero 6 or How to Train Your Dragon 2. And I think Big Hero 6 should get that one. That's just me, just my opinion, but I liked Big Hero I 6. I thought it should have been Lego Movie, but that didn't get nominated. Yeah, I was surprised. I was very surprised by that because I enjoyed Lego Movie a lot. Yeah, and two of the ones that were nominated are these really obscure animated movies no one's heard of. One's called Songs of the Sea. I can't even remember the name of the other one. Interesting. I haven't heard of that one at all. Yeah. But no, and for for the countdown sake, for anybody who really cares, we're 11 months away from The Force Awakening in the galaxy far, far away. 11, 11 months from yesterday. Yes, life is good. <laughs> <laughs> all right well we'll wrap up yet another edition of the jedi and germs on the jazz show another fun fact-filled stats-filled week we want to thank you all for listening and a big thanks as always to torn by devin devin masters for being patient through the shows with us putting together his wonderful magic editing fingers at the end to make it work every week and we appreciate it So thanks again, everybody, for listening. May the Force be with you. And as always, I'm going to let John take us out again. Bye, everybody. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.